We have hope. Hope that things can get better. And they will. You called it Jesse James. Jesse, a.k.a. The Bizzle. Oh, The Bizzle, thank you. <laughs> the Bizzle? Thank you, The Bizzle. Yeah. The Bizzle. All right, folks, welcome to the season two episode of Star Wars Rebels Wings of the Master. I've been jumping around a little bit in the recording, although I will release them in order. I figured I'd do Hera next, but then it occurred to me that I thought there were two Hera character study episodes and two Sabine in this season. And that is indeed the case, but on top of that, while they each have a kind of melodramatic, you know, family betrayal episode, they very smartly do a more subtle and personal non-family episode uh, first, earlier on in the season. In fact, it's back-to-back. So, rather than do both Hera episodes back-to-back, I'm going to do the first Hera and then the first Sabine. The first Sabine, which is next, is, of course, the great Gina Torres as a former compatriot of hers who's not sure if they can trust. We will get to that. This one, of course, is the, you know, discovery, you know, uh, revelation of the B-Wing, and they really need new assets. They need a fighter that, while a bit slower, has much more firepower, and the B-Wing is indeed that. And as usual, the great writing, it was important to emphasize yet again that they're getting their asses kicked by superior force in order to, you know, uh, force them to get more creative and increasing their military resources available. And while this is tentatively about getting a B-Wing from a eccentric uh, ship designer, um, it's actually about Hera... Not gaining confidence, we know as she does that she is the best pilot in the galaxy, but sort of her gaining a new level of of kind of zen um, and, you know, feeling one with with the ships um, and, yeah, they're losing ships left and right. Um, Well, we'll see. It's a very subtle character study that's not really about the B-Wing, even while being about the B-Wing. Um, and it's about her maybe losing some confidence in her leadership ability, even though it's not her fault. It's overwhelming force. Everyone's getting killed. This needed to be major losses, though. Uh, of course, they try and steal a bunch of Y-Wings at the beginning of Season 3 with Ezra, but he goes kind of crazy and it doesn't go great, so... Anyways, as I was saying, it is very smart. We needed character studies, multiple of Hera and Sabine, because we didn't get them in the first season, which was completely Kanan and Ezra-focused, for obvious reasons. Now, the family stuff, you know, I I talk about how they're all kind of royalty, you know, to a certain extent, other than Kanan. You don't know where he comes from, being a, a blockade buster, right? Yeah, Rex knows about it. Yeah, Shipmaster Quarry. I forget what what kind of uh, alien he is. Uh, Shipmaster Quarry. Yeah, this is great. For once, Kanan's the one pushing the envelope. It's usually Kanan's the skeptic and Hera's pushing. Here, Kanan's pushing. 
she needs it. You know, for a lot of reasons. And I think Kanan can read that it's not just the obvious that she's the best pilot and, you know, one of the leaders, blah, blah, blah. That there's more reasons to go. So, the Sabine episode, while a little bit less subtle, because Gina Torres' character is, you know, pretty intense, nevertheless, being a one-on-one female friendship story gives us a whole interesting look into Sabine, and while the family stories end up being interesting, even though the betrayals are, are somewhat predictable, uh... In some ways, these give us better looks into them because they're both trying to move on from their families, and these two episodes expand on their identities. This episode, like the first uh, part of the meeting the clones, you know, what are they called? The <laughs> Ezra's co pilot. Uh, the uh, what's the commander's episode called? Uh, Lost Commanders. You know, there's sort of a relaxing vibe to it. Um, this has to a meditative vibe as we sort of take this low-key but important journey with Hera. So I guess in terms of flying, Hera's by far the best. Kanan's decent. Ezra learns Sabine never becomes a great flyer. That's not one of her strengths. I'm not sure Zeb ever flies. So this guy is great. He lives by himself. He's designing these cutting-edge ships. It's almost impossible to get into his atmosphere. We learned that he doesn't even fly his own ships. Just, you know, awesome world-building stuff. Another beautiful atmosphere here. Whoop. So. You know, I mean, what five six seven episodes into season two you're going are we ever going to get to know the girls and boy do we ever and while we don't get a ton of hera centric episodes that aren't related to the crew or kanan after season two we keep building sabine and building and building and building to where she is almost an equal of Ezra, if not an equal, and uh, how they move to the front in season four. You know. Of course, Hera's dad, Shamsandula, and uh, not necessarily Sabine's family, but the Mandalorians both play a huge role in the Clone Wars, so they're familiar characters, and it forms a connective tissue in terms of these characters and the politics of the galaxy. Am I dead? I don't smell dead. I realize I've been sipping my coffee into the mic. I apologize, and I'm not sure I feel like cutting it out. I'll, I'll try and move move back a little bit. I find it kind of soothing. You guys meant not so much. Yeah, here they go. Yeah. They jump out, and here's the guy. Oh, he's a, he's a Mon Cal. Yeah, Quarry, that makes sense. So, we already know with Akbar, and then more so with Admiral Raddus in Rogue One, who's like a fucking fiery, let's fuck him up badass. And we know the Moncals have the best ships and the best strategies and the most powerful fleets. Uh, but in the new Vader series, either volume two or three, it, the whole thing is the Empire trying to invade and subjugate um, 
the Mon Cala planet. And the Jedi, with somewhat sketchy motives, creates a terrorist attack to force the issue. And it's a really bloody war. And we see both Akbar and Radis come into their own. You know, Akbar being a little bit more cautious and defensive, Radis being extremely creative and creating offensive weapons out of nothing. The Jedi has a vision that he needs to get the Moncals out of the ocean into space because, well, they have the best ships. Having them in the ocean really doesn't do much to help the galaxy. They don't really explain how the vision comes to this, you know, Jedi of questionable power and questionable morals, but ultimately he's right. They need to get the Mon Cal cruisers into space and that helps them in Scarif. And then again in, and, uh, Endor. and then again in the last Jedi. So it's glorious <laughs> getting to know the Mon Cal's and how badass they are. And while the King ultimately calls a truce, once they realize that the terrorist attack was set up by a Jedi that was supposedly helping him, they assert their dominance and, you know, maintain a certain degree of autonomy, I think. But, you know, Radis and, and Akbar take their fleets into deep space, like the Quarians and, and Mass Effects, and just sort of live out there. I mean, that's the thing that's lost, is from a bunch of years before this takes place until Endor... There are thousands of people and hundreds of ships living in space. This guy gives her a total cold shoulder. I think she feels entitled, like, you must give this to me. He's sort of neutral, like the Bendu, minus the Force powers, and wants more proof that she's worthy of it. I guess the only flaw is it's not clear what she needs to show him, other than maybe humility to get it. (laughs) Right, they can't resist helping people. (laughs) They're so weak. Right. Yeah, she's being kind of demanding. She's insulting his planet. He's saying, why would I come to you? This is my ship. Uh, here we're getting some Ryloth background. The episode with her dad, even though the betrayal is inevitable, is great. You totally buy their their tense relationship, but all, and then reconciliation. And that is ultimately why her being kind of royalty and Sabine definitely being kind of royalty is important to both the characters and the politics, because. She needs to get her dad on the rebel side for good, and Sabine needs to turn around the Mandalore situation, which takes much longer, but has, you know, a much more a dramatic effect that will reverberate, I think, you know, through the John Favreau series, hopefully. Yeah, she, she's already won him over. Yeah, that's all it took, was her just being honest. You know, a Kara just radiates goodness, competence, leadership, ability. I mean, you know, she's Princess Leia. She's good at everything. She's a moral leader. She's a political leader. She's a military leader. She's a mother. You know, she's a jack of all trade and a master of most, if not all. 
I'm never quite sure what they're doing with the ghost as the side mission, but who cares? That's not what it's about. But this is a fantastic episode because it's so subtle. Even though it's a quick, you know, change of mind where he gets on her side, the test it's not that the test is easy. It's just that she's good at everything, and she's such a natural, like I said, good person. He senses she's a great pilot. This is the Starbuck trick here. You know, when Starbuck tests out the, the flight of the Phoenix, the stealth ship that uh, Chief Tyrrell and, uh, and Hilo build in Season 2 Battlestar, named Lara after the president, who's dying, but who they love at that point. You know, Starbuck pretends to have blown up and disappears, and she shows up right on Apollo's tail and starts fucking with him. And he's like, oh, you're so dead, you know. So she drops down. It's hard to get the controls. Again, this guy doesn't fly his own ship, so this is purely theoretical. (laughs) He just goes straight down. Even he's nervous. It's beautiful, the B-Wing. So, two things about the B-Wing in this compared to, you know, the computer games and other portrayals. It's a bit faster and more maneuverable, which makes sense. Although they're also in atmosphere, so it's hard to compare. It's got an afterburner. But the way the four lasers come together to do like a mini Death Star laser, I have never seen before. I don't know if we ever see it displayed in the show, but... It's just symbolic of the Rebellion gaining new resources and upping their game when it comes to military power. So let's see, we're only 13 minutes in. She's already flying the B-Wing. She's mastering it, and then we're going to see the weapons demonstration. By the way, I'm trying to go back to Battlefront 2. I suck. It's a tough game. It's not a traditional shooter. You don't know whether to go third person, first person, testing the weapons, blah, 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 blah. And flying the TIE fighter is, is unwieldy, to say the least. The big lever, right. Here we go. Oh, mama. Damn. She's lucky she didn't kill herself. <laughs> I think he's Moncal. You know, it's sometimes hard to tell with the uh, um, cartoonish portrayals, like the Wookiees. I love how it lands on the side. <laughs> Oh, right, here comes the resistance. They want to improve it. Never get between a Mandalorian and a weapons package. Yeah, he doesn't argue the point. Who's going to fight with her, bad? Sabine, when she puts her foot down. The thing is, because she's so pretty and colorful and the cute voice of Tia Sarkar, it's never a threat. <laughs> it's just a statement of fact. I'm a Mandalorian. I know what I'm doing. Yeah, what's going on? Oh. Is she going to get there in time to help? Oh, they're attacking the blockade again. Oh, man. Oh, they're going to use the the four-point laser to break through the blockade, baby. 
Tia Sarkar killing the techno babble. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a prototype, exactly. Hyperdrive's the last thing to go in. <laughs> like the page up. Fish face. Oh no, Zeb's gonna beat this guy up. Come on, Zeb. <laughs> uh, upside down cameras are always fun. BG. The BGs. And we can't tell by the way I walk from left from lane, man. No time to talk. Sorry. Yeah, okay, he's my cop. I missed the answer. It had something to do with this droid. <laughs> yeah, my calls are large. I mean, Radis being short and stout is actually... Most of them are sort of tall and thin. You know, he's a little different. So, you know, again, the fact that they just massacred the rebel fleet the first time they tried to break the, break the blockade gives callous credibility, even if they win temporarily, the rebels do at the end of this episode. Yeah, I mean, looking at it now, it's not really a character study of Hera, but it is in the sense of, you know, learning to be adaptable, learning to think on your feet. And, you know, not just shoot em up situations. And, you know, doing what's best for the rebellion, even when you have questions about whether you're going to the right place and doing the right thing. Great space battling in this season throughout. Right, they're, they call them cruisers. Come on, where's the B-Wing, baby? Bring it! Bring it, Hera! We're cut off. Ooh, here she comes! Yeah, baby! Woo! I love her helmet. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Phantom detaches. Here comes the B-Wing. Wings are out. They are not expecting the mini Death Star. Callus, <laughs> so cocky. What a dick. Yeah, get out of the way. <laughs> get out of the way. You heard the captain. She's going to be a general soon enough. Uh-huh. Yep. We established that in season one. Whether she really trusts Sabine or not, she's convinced herself that she does. Oh, Callus is starting to smell trouble. Ugh. I mean, the thing is, it's almost as powerful as a capital ship, but so small. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> Uh oh, Empire's got a problem. Yeah, B Wing took down an entire Imperial cruiser. That's great. 
again as a nerd of ships uh the Moncal came with him but he was zip always starts out disliking strangers and always becomes buddies with them the weirder they are the more likely it is to happen they're dropping supplies they got through the blockade You know, it shouldn't be lost that even though the symbol of the phoenix doesn't make sense in the mythology, who cares? We we, we know that the Rebel Alliance symbol is based on the, the rising phoenix. We see beautiful versions of it by Sabine all the time. And so why not be Phoenix Squadron? Yeah, Callus could not have predicted that. And he took out a lot of Rebels. So it's not a stalemate. The rebels win. They get some supplies down, but, you know, they'll find a way to to counter the B-Wing and they keep going. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. He's going to make more of them, but he's got to be in charge. And here's the, the honest diplomat that is Harrison Dula, young pilot. Oh, yeah, you made it sore. Mm-hmm. This was really the important thing, was people realize <laughs> that she's maybe the most valuable person. Oh, Phoenix leader. Yeah. She has to get promoted. Everyone smiling, recognizes how brilliant she is. They salute her. Oh, uh, yeah. Captain Hera. You know. Yeah. Ah, love Rebels. It's such a feel-good shout. All right. Great. I'm going to jump in uh, to the Sabine episode with the amazing uh, Gina Torres, Blood Sisters. Uh, Gina Torres, who plays Ketsu, um, which, you know, uh, relies on a lot of filling in the blanks with your imagination about their past, but is important you know, in this day and age that we have young female characters who are probably, well, I think Sabine's heterosexual. It's possible Ketsu's gay. I forget. Is it implied? Ketsu's gay, like Afra and Sana, who's bisexual. You know, Lucasfilm is trying all sorts of stuff. But anyways, the point is that the two young women can have a complicated platonic friendship slash partnership that went wrong in the past and that, you know, they can reconvene and see what happens. So I will see you for Blood Sisters. Thank you for joining me. May the force be with you. And for now, the bizzle is out.